Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome in to another episode of Hockey Royalty, the official podcast of HockeyRoyalty.com. Today we have two very special guests from Locked On Coyotes, Carl and Robin, to talk about the Arizona Coyotes, the Chikrin trade that we've all been talking about, and then we're going to stay tuned for more stuff about your LA Kings. Get in the chat, like and subscribe, and let's go. So welcome in, uh, both you guys. Thank you for coming on, and we're talking about the Yotes. How are you guys doing? Doing good. Yeah, not too bad. Uh, enjoying the week, but you know. And then my esteemed co-host, Joe and Russell, how are you guys doing? Very good, Rando. How's things with you? Not too doing bad. Just just uh, getting off work today, selling some cars, and then coming on here with you fine folk. So, What could be better than that? And Russell? Yeah, I'm doing good. It's been a great week of uh, Stanley Cup final hockey. I've enjoyed those games. It's been good for the league. Good for the yeah, league. Has been good. It's been. It seems like it's been due for Colorado for quite some time. Um, the Coyotes have saw quite a bit of them this season. Uh, let's let's get into that and, and and get our co-host going here. And we'll start with the the Coyotes as a whole. I mean, obviously, seems like they're going in the rebuild with seven picks in the first two rounds, trading away prospects, and then the trade talks are never ending. But also, there's some turnover with the stadium. Uh, getting into pushed into the central division. Like, how has it been being a Coyotes fan in this last couple of years? And how do you guys feel about this rebuild so far? Go ahead and start, Carl. Okay. Uh, so, yeah, I have been following the Coyotes and writing about them for the past 11 years now. And, and honestly, this all feels the same. There's always been arena trouble. This is like the third rebuild I've been on. Uh, it, it's all just exactly the same. Uh, I am always optimistic about the future. I, I think that things are going well with the stadium situation. It's still early. I think things are going well with the rebuild, although it's still really early for that. Uh, it all kind of depends on you know what happens in the next couple weeks. Is Bill Armstrong able to you know draft a good crop? A lot of fans have faith in him, so you know I'm confident he will. But you know, remains to be seen what actually happens. Yeah, uh, you know, to me too. Like I've been 
covering the Coyotes for much less than Carl has. I mean, I've been doing, I've been doing it. I've been covering the Roadrunners for about six years, but the Coyotes for like the last two or three, coming right out of college and joining the podcast. But, uh, but watching the rebuild happen um, and seeing what Bill Armstrong's been doing, I've been really impressed. You know, he's setting. I think I believe he's setting it up perfectly. And yeah, it sucks to see them. You know, be at the at the bottom of the barrel and the complete basement of the league. But that was expected, and we just—I just had to mentally prepare yourself for that. Um, it kind of—it's good that it coincides with those arena problems because, like, okay, they're not so good, so you don't have to worry about having a brand spanking new arena until later down the road. Yeah, I want to—I want to ask you guys about the arena situation because I don't think people outside of Arizona kind of get this whole move from Glendale to Tempe and how like real like impactful it really is because. I, I lived in Arizona for a couple of years, so I, I know the area quite well. And no one wanted to drive to Glendale to see a hockey game. It just that was way too far. People, it makes sense to go drive down there eight times a year to go see the Cardinals, the Arizona Cardinals, the football team that's literally right next door to where uh, Gila River Arena was. But for forty-one times a year to go see hockey in Arizona, it made no sense to go from downtown, which is a real big city a real big metro to all the way to the outskirts of glendale which is growing but it's still not there in terms of trying to grow a hockey community so what are your thoughts i'll start with you carl what are your thoughts of it moving now back to closer to the city well i mean i did just buy a townhouse that's like 20 minutes away from the <laughs> river arena uh but i i lived in tempe for years i love the city of tempe I have multiple favorite like restaurants in Tempe. I'm fine with them moving to Tempe. Uh, it's going to be really close to the light rail, which is just a really good way to get around. Mm -hmm. But but you're right. There is a vast difference between Glendale and Tempe that you really need to be like live in Arizona for any amount of time to realize. Uh, whenever I see people talking about it on the internet, I'm like, you you don't understand the city and. Mm -hmm. I know because I'm looking where you're from. Like usually it's somewhere in Canada uh, or just anywhere else in the country. I'm like, I don't know the nuances of your city. Why do you suspect that you know what's going on in Phoenix? A mm -hmm. very sprawling, massive city. Exactly. How about you, how about you Robin? Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I've made that complaint many times before about the Coyotes previously in the West Valley, just because like uh, there is very few like trans, like, or like, access there access to mm -hmm. that side because like what the your best way to get there is like you know i i the either the i-10 or you know loop 101 which there's even then you still have to get off the freeway and drive for an extra 15 minutes before we even get there um and that's me coming from tucson for example like uh, tucson the tila river arena took me about two and a half hours versus you know two i test i timed myself you know only a couple of weeks ago tucson to tempe about like an hour and a half saved myself whole extra whole extra hour like it makes sense to be on that side it's a lot more centrally located uh so much there's like all the fans are in that area it's a lot mm -hmm. more densely packed that's where a lot of the quote like richer people are and that and then those people will be spending more money on hockey games it just makes more sense to, to be on this side rather than over there it makes i mean and i and, and i won't fault them for making the decision then because they, at the time, I, from what I understand, is they believed it really was going to develop better on the East, on the West Valley. It just mm -hmm. didn't over the years, and they they just learned from that mistake. 
We have a we have a we have a question here from Carter Scores, longtime listener. Uh, how do you guys feel about the projected ticket prices for the temporary arena uh, being, you know, where where the college plays? You know, it's it was expected. Um, we knew it was going to be that high. We knew it was going to be high. Uh, we saw it get that high. We were a little like a little sticker shocked just because like, oh, wow. Yeah. Um, but you have to understand that because it's such a smaller arena that, you know, the demand is going to go higher. And because it's in, you know, it's in Tempe, it's in that side, as I mentioned, a lot more people are going to want to, are going to be going to games. It kind of makes sense so far. I think, I think two of the four or five sections, like in terms of the season ticket pricing has already sold out. Like, so like people are buying them, like people are willing to spend, to spend that. It's just, you know, you have to understand that that's kind of part of how, like how, like how it's going to end up working with the, with the demand. Do you think that's because of the money in the city or do you think that's the anticipation of Logan Cooley or a year off Sofkowski? Because the anticipation of Quentin Byfield in the first season, even though the Kings management were saying like, he's not going to play was through the roof. I mean, Jersey sales and all that kind of stuff like that. And then that with a smaller arena, like people get into rebuilds and seeing these young stars that they could potentially witness for over a decade. How do you feel like that contributes to the anticipation in the season ticket sales? I mean, there's definitely a lot of hype for Dylan Gunther. Uh, pretty mm-hmm. much was the silver lining throughout the entire season. Uh, I don't think anyone anticipates the team like playing him. Uh, most people have kind of accepted that there's going to be just one more year of misery, hopefully just one more year of misery, but no one's expecting the team to be great next year. No one's expecting them to rush any prospects. Um, but we're also seeing like the revitalization of Clayton Keller. Like he had a phenomenal season last year, really came out of nowhere. Well, not exactly nowhere, but really took a massive step forward and people really responded. Uh, he also spoke out at the, uh, city of Tempe, uh, city council meeting and that earned him a lot of respect from the fan base i don't think i remember any active player speaking out at city of glendale meeting i remember them going but they didn't say anything I, and clinton keller spoke and that means a lot joe do you have any questions for them yeah i was gonna ask carl uh he had mentioned in his when he first started talking uh, a bit ago about the rebuild and how he's been through a few rebuilds where would you say the current rebuild is right now? I mean, do you think this is a team that you see there's a light at the end of this tunnel uh, in, in two years, three years? Or is this something where you're, you feel like maybe you're at the beginning of this and it's going to take, you know, three, four or five years to get yourselves out of it? So I think that last year was the first year. There's going to be one more year uh, where the Coyotes are going to be bottom five team uh, next they're they're in a weird division so I don't really want to know but I do expect in like two to three years they're at least going to be looking for you know playoff bubble kind of area and then hopefully we get some you know great seasons out of you know, players like Gunther Soderstrom when they're you know four years from now and they're actually competing and they have, you know, the kind of supplemental players that are going to be drafted in the next couple of years. I have a question here from Richard. It says, since the Coyotes have been through quite a few rebuilds, what pieces would it finally take to get out of rebuild mode? And I maybe this, maybe I'm going to frame it this way. Is this the most important pick in Coyotes history, this number three overall, for modern Coyotes hockey? Robin. 
It certainly is a big pick. I'm not. Sh- I can't. I'm not sure if I could say the most important pick. Um, but is it, I think this is going to make a huge difference. The Coyotes have picked number three overall. I think this is their third time they're doing it. The last mm-hmm. two haven't panned out, so they want to make sure they get this one right. Um, if they do two, three years down the road, you know that pick, whether it is Slavkowski or Cooley or whoever, they're going to make a big impact. Like, and I hopefully make a big impact. I'm gonna, okay. I'm gonna take, I'm gonna take the, hold on, I'm gonna take the shoes of Bill Armstrong right now. And this, and this is from, and also from an outside point of view, if I'm the Coyotes, I go full tank mode this season, full tank mode. You have to try whatever you can to get Connor Bedard next year. <laughs> if that's that, if that that changes, you just ask questions. Or what, or Nikolai Mishkov, either one would be yeah, perfectly fine. Whatever one, I will. You just I will say I've already started the hashtag on on our podcast hashtag Tank Hard for Bedard. So I'm, <laughs> I'm 100% with you on that. Yeah, I mean, you just asked what pieces you need to get out of a rebuild. Any team that gets Connor Bedard next year is immediately going to be in playoff contention because you can build around that type of player and. Oh. He, Cooley yeah, Bedard one two would be nasty for you. I mean, you're yeah. you, Connor Bedard's going to put up easily probably eighty points in his first rookie year. He's that good of a player. Yeah, We're talking about the next McDavid, the next Crosby, whatever. I mean, this player has it all. You've seen what he did at the U18s when, as a sixteen-year-old. We're going to start to see what he does at the World Juniors, and he's really going to make a name for himself. So, full tank mode, baby. That's what I'm doing if I'm the Coyotes or really any team like the Kraken. So, I think that's what's going to play into a lot of decision making because a lot of people talk about this draft being big Ooh, next draft is yeah huge in terms yeah. you're talking about multiple franchise players are are going to be available in the top five so i think some of these bottom teams are probably going to stay closer to the bottom and wait to see what happens next year we talked with wheeler uh, scott wheeler from the athletic a little bit and they said that there, he said that there's probably four talent four talents in next year's draft that's better than shane wright yeah. Or that could be better than wow. Shane Ryan. And he just said, like, it's just that loaded. And he said, like, normally the, the tier break off, like, from the, like, top line tier is around 13, 14 players. He said next year he would guess it's probably around 21 to 26 guys. Like, it's just that deep. And so, yeah, tank hard for Bedard is right, Robin. <laughs> Yeah. And it's really not like the Coyotes have much of a choice. Uh, they're, they're not going <laughs> to suddenly be better like Phil Armstrong would need to have like a massive free agent just bringing in all the talents in the world mm-hmm. like that is kind of like one of the things at a certain point a lot of our fans did maybe think the Coyotes could have a push next year if certain things clicked into place but but no that, that's not going to happen they just don't have the materials yet they're still you know developing they're still growing they're still haven't been drafted yet Hey, you got plenty of salary cap, you know, to sign Philip Forsberg, trade for Pierre-Luc Dubois, trade for Pasternak. That's your perfect first line right there. That's that's an instant rebuild. Uh, Richard is a coffee guy. He wants Dutch bros in the new arena for sure. Let's get into it. Our first first question from Carter Scores about the trading question that we're talking about. Do you guys think Chikrin can bounce back from his previous injuries to be that dynamic defensive, the one, the defenseman that led the league in scoring – do you think it hurts his trade value, or do you think that his trade value has not been hurt by his injuries at all? Uh, Carl or Robin can take this one, either one. Uh, I, I don't think it's really been hurt. Chicken has been injured before. He always seems to bounce back. Um, you have to understand, this was his first season playing as the number one defenseman. 
it was, I think, the first season of his career playing without Alex Golagoski by his side. Uh, first season with a new head coach. He really, like, didn't, like, he had a lot of firsts. Um, and he was apparently really shook up when Christian Dvorak was traded just before training camp because they were pretty close. Um, so I think he is going to bounce back. I think he can still do a lot of great things. Uh, if he is with the Coyotes and they don't trade him before then, I think he can have a great season. Uh, but yeah, I don't think there's any concern about his injuries. Yeah, that's interesting I, I, context I, I there. Yeah, sorry, Robert. I was going to say that's interesting context about the a number of things that went on around him that maybe led to him having kind of a a down year, if you will. Where is is this a is this a trade that that you guys and or Coyotes fans have kind of just reserved that it's going to happen, or do you think it's not necessarily something that's a slam dunk or something that they need to do? Um, to me, so I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna say this that like it's there's a there's a really high chance this thing happens, um, and I think it's mainly because if they want to get the best value at it, they're gonna do it you know do it sooner rather than later that's one and two after this next season he officially has a no trade clause attached to his contract so if they're going to get it done they're going to get it done this off season and if yeah, i'm going to go a step further if they're going to get it done they're going to get it done before this upcoming draft in a couple hmm. weeks i don't think it needs to happen i do think that there there was a disconnect between you know management and Shikrin as the year went on as to whether or not he would be traded. Uh, when the season started, he was untouchable, if you can say any player is untouchable in a tanking team. Um, but that you know devolved as the season went along, and it, it did seem to frustrate him. So like if the team wants to keep him, I think he's on a very team-friendly contract. He's still young. He will still be a good age when the rebuild hopefully ends. So there's reasons to keep him, but if they do, they really need to mend that relationship. Yeah, I think a lot of the question marks that are revolving around Chikrin and why the rumors are starting to pop up now, or they've been kind of around, is that there's going to be a modified no-trade clause that kicks in after this season for his contract. So we're definitely probably going to see him being moved because I don't. once he hits you uh, unrestricted free agency, I think Bill Armstrong kind of is maybe skeptical about him probably wanting to come back um, to Arizona. So that could be a reason why we're hearing. Um, sorry, I just had news come across that. Bergeron's coming back to Boston. Um, so, but yeah, so I think with Chikrin that you, I think that trade's probably going to happen. And I think it maybe does happen before the draft. So I think in terms, and so for, from a King's standpoint, I'll kind of lead us into that. Um, what, what kind of return are you looking for in a trade for Jacob Chikrin? And I'll start with you, Carl. Uh, so the line that Bill Armstrong has said from the very beginning, I still think it's the case. Uh, high prospect, first round pick, and a NHL player. And definitely think that the prospect is the most interesting part of that. The Coyotes, in terms of the player, I don't think they're necessarily looking for like a world changer. They just need some supplemental scoring. Um, but yeah, there's definitely a few interesting prospects I, I see in the, the Kings pipeline. One thing we've talked about with that is, and it just to, from a roster player standpoint, so for your prospect, as you mentioned, first round pick, NHL player, we have a player who Russell, Randy, and myself have talked about as a potential, somebody that may be interested to the Coyotes. He's played over 100 NHL games. He's a very, very young left shot D, and that's Tobias Bjornfoot. 
I don't know if that's something in our minds. It's like, hey, that could be attractive to Arizona. Still a very mm-hmm. young defenseman, but he's got NHL games under his belt. You know, if we're going to be, if LA is going to be acquiring a left shot D and Chikrin, former first something. first round pick. Yep. So perhaps that's something that, and, and I don't know though, because you just mentioned maybe some supplemental scoring. Does a forward? Does it is, it? is it more of a forward that the perhaps Coyotes could be looking for in that type of a deal for the NHL player? I'm Robin. Do you want to answer this one? I mean, there's uh, there's a lot of ways you could think. I think the Coyotes do lack the most in defense right now, and I think, uh, <laughs> but a one thing that will be needed is that, especially if you know Trekkin is traded, that will be lacking will be a will be the offensive aspect of defense because you know Trekkin was an, a, a puck moving offensive defenseman. You know, you're going to eventually want a guy to fill that. So that's mm-hmm. what, that's that's I think what we're looking for mainly on that side. Yeah, and looking at uh, – I was looking um, earlier, too, at, at you know the, the prospect pool in Arizona, and it seems beyond Soderstrom, Victor Soderstrom, particularly on the right side, it seems pretty thin, and that's uh, exactly where the Kings are very, very strong is the right side of the defense. I mean, after Brant Clark, you still have the likes of Jordan Spence, Sean Dersey, Helge Granz, um, Brock Faber is another one. So, you know, I, I, it seems – logical that there could be a piece that comes from that grouping as well so there could be that nhl player could be that right shot d-man maybe that is the prospect um are any of those prospects something that you could see them go for just be given the the depth of the kings in the right shot d but also it seems arizona that could be a spot where they're lacking yeah uh brock favor was actually one of the players that i was looking at he stood out on uh i was looking at a hockey writer's top 10 prospects for the Kings because I'm not a big prospect person. I need some supplemental <laughs> info. Um, there's the, the thing with the coyotes is there's just so many holes right now that really like anyone can fill it. Uh, you mentioned the defense, like beyond Soderstrom. That is absolutely the case. Uh, we saw pretty much every single Roadrunners defenseman be called up at some <laughs> point last season. Uh, and you know, the Coyotes blue line is not going to be getting any better. Uh, hopefully, Connor Timmons has a full season. He went out early with a knee injury. Uh, let's see what he can kind of do. I, I remember having some you know, positive feelings about him going into the year, but you know, he got hurt right away. Uh, but, yeah, I think there's definitely a lot of places. And, um, you know, it doesn't necessarily need to be supplemental scoring for the player. Uh, I, I think the Coyotes are just going to look for whatever is best available, whatever the best offer is on the table. Now, I, I have a question here for you. As far as for the first-round pick, does it matter this year versus the next year? As we talk, next year is a deeper draft. You guys already have seven picks in the first 50 or so picks, and you guys are tearing it down to the studs. Would it matter for you? I mean, normally teams want earlier returns, but maybe you guys would want waves of prospects coming up uh, as far as in their developmental stage. And I know the Kings would might like to keep on to their first round pick this year if they can, because if they're selling away prospects to get this deal done, maybe a 2022 first would be better off for them. How do you guys feel about the year of 22 versus 23? Do you think it matters? Do you think they should spread out the assets that they're acquiring? Robin, what do you, th- what do you think? Yeah. You know, I think that's a good question. I think um, that's something that I've kind of, kind of teetered a bit in my, in my mind. And, I think the, you know, going to the 2023 route first round would be, would make more sense for the Coyotes. And again, because it goes because the Coyotes have seven round, you know, seven, you know, picks in the first two rounds this year. That's one and two. 
Um, we've been talking with draft experts for getting ready for this year's draft. And once you get past five, then there's it's, it's just a real ma massive gray area where it's like, do you, is it really worth, you know, trying to trade up for these players? Cause it's all the same. Like someone who might get drafted six can fall down to draft and again, drafted 23 who knows in this year's draft. Um, so like, that's the kind of main thought I was going with. And it's like, if that's the case, and with how deep the next year is going to be, might as well try to get for that instead. What do you think, Carl? Do you, you agree with Robin? Yeah, I agree. Um, I think the Coyotes have enough picks that they can play around and move up at this year's draft if they need to. Um, if they don't want to do that, you know, then that's fine. They have enough. Uh, I am kind of interested in the 2023 draft, so I, I don't necessarily be that see that being an issue. Uh, 2022 versus 23. All right. So let's get into some actual GM hats here, if you will, or and everything like that for this trade and what maybe you guys would think on your side going down. I think most people here on King's side have, have contemplated on what we would give Russell, you want to be the GM on our side and, and one of you guys can be the GM on the other side and maybe come up with a trade that might be uh, adequate to pull the trigger. Oh man. My negotiating skills are horrible. <laughs> If you guys, Robin, you want to take how, this? If, if you guys knew how much I really wanted Chikrin on the Kings, then this table would be terrible. I'd, have, <laughs> I'd be on the short end of the stick. But I yeah, guess, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm the reason the, the player that I've always kind of thought that the the Coyotes or any other team really on the outside in terms of um, looking to acquire would be Alex Turcott, and and I think I don't. I want to get your guys' thoughts on kind of outside perspective on Turcott. Um, because I mean, Kings fans, we kind of know about him. We have Trevor Zegers literally right down the hall, uh, highway. So we see him all the time, but then I also would include a player like Tobias Bjornfoot that we've talked about. And the reason I always include Bjornfoot is not because of how valuable he is to the Kings, but how valuable he would be to the Coyotes being as he was to, uh, Victor Soderstrom's, um, line mate or defensive pairing at the world junior championship. So that could be a little bit of chemistry, maybe a little bit more enticing to go there. So when I say Bjornfoot, Turcotte, first round pick next year, maybe another prospect we can throw in, NHL player. We have a plenty of uh, defensive players like Sean Walker is a really valuable player that's been kind of thrown around. But I think that's kind of the group that I would do and kind of start off with uh, on that table. So I'll, I'll throw the pen to your side now. <laughs> Carl, you're a little bit more picky than I am. I like <laughs> no, I actually like that as a, as a good initial offer. Um, I, I I didn't even think Turncott was on the table, if I'm being perfectly honest. So uh, that is definitely uh, higher than I was expecting. So, so it's funny yeah. you mentioned that, Carl. Sorry, and I don't mm -hmm. mean to cut you off, uh, because that's I think as Russell was saying before, the curious the thought of an outsider, because an insider is – Kings fans, I think, are getting very, very antsy and very impatient with Turcotte. It's been a couple of years, haven't seen him. He's got some injuries. And I think there's a much more willingness to include a guy like Alex Turcotte now as opposed to, say, 12 months ago mm -hmm. when there were these Jack Eichel rumors and including Turcotte was no go. Um, so is that how you kind of looked at it? Where was, I don't even know if Turcotte is even on the table. Yeah, pretty much. Uh, like... I, I see a player like Turcotte. Uh, I wasn't following the Kings too much this year, so I don't know how, you know, what his season was like. He didn't play but, that much, yeah. I'll tell you that. So he didn't miss that much. <laughs> <laughs> but like, 
one off year is not going to change my my idea of a prospect. And he just seemed like such a, a highly touted player. I, I, I did not think that he would be available. Yeah, and I think I think a lot of the discussion why is because of the other prospects that the Kings have. And we're starting – it's like impatience has become a big factor that we're all trying to learn. We're all trying to learn how to be patient with all these prospects because Turcotte isn't the only one that's gone through injuries. Almost – the majority of the first round picks of LA have gone through some sort of injury. I mean, Cabras was probably towards ACL. Gabe Velarde's had major back issues. So this isn't a big, um, this is, this has happened plenty of times before. So now with Turcotte, I think Kings fans just see him as a, like, like you mentioned, like a real valuable asset who's probably going to still be a really good quality NHL player, but it's a player that with the amount of centers that the Kings have now, that a player that LA fans would be willing to part with and include in a trade to bring in a quality player like Chikrin. So I think that's why it almost sounds like we have like a deal kind of spewing <laughs> over here. I'm, I'm, I'm sensing, I'm sensing some chemistry here. So yeah, I think that's why Turcotte would be included in any trade. Now this, the assistant GM over here, Carl, the GM was reaching out to, to me earlier and was interested in Chromiak. What if he was the extra player to throw in? He liked the way Chromiak uh, has blossom full GM Russell. Is it so Turcotte, Bjornfoot, a first, and you you throwing in Chromiak as well to get the deal done? Well, see that that's the thing is like from an outside point of view, I'm sure like Carl or Robin they they see Martin Chromiak and you look him up. I'm sure you guys may notice him a little bit, and you just see the goal scoring that he's able to provide. So I think when you see that, and that kind of entices a little bit more. So from a Kings fan point of view. Martin Chromiak's really, he's on the highest trajectory probably of all Kings prospects right now. He's really skyrocketing up mm -hmm. the, the prospect rankings. Um, so that would be a player that even if the Kings fans had to part with Turcotte and Chromiak, it would hurt. But I think it, in the long run, to bring in a player like Chickman, that's probably something you would have to do. What, what do you think, Robin? Is that, is that something maybe you keep you on the table here? Oh, this, this this definitely op opens that door. I'm like, it, like you've been reeled in. I'm like, okay, now we're interested. Now we can actually have that, have that come. Like, because we've had so many, so many deals where again they were so, like they were so off base. This is by far the closest we've ever been to like, yeah, we. This is like this is something that we can take. And you know what's funny is that Kings fans see this trade as not being that much, and I think that's what Kings fans are starting to realize is that the, the prospect pool is so large that including these players into a trade. I mean, you still have players like Quentin Byfield, Arthur Kaliev, um, Samuel Fogimo. I mean, I can go down this whole long list. And and it's, but then when you add a player like Chickren that the Kings really really need, I mean, that's going to increase the potential for this team to be not only a playoff contender but actually make some noise come playoff time. We already have two differences in the chat of opinion here. And you're talking about the we need to keep Chromiak. He we don't have a ton of high end wingers, mm -hmm. and then. Carter's like Turcotte, Bjornfa, and Fagimo, which is another high-end winger we have in a 2023 first. So, like like Russell said, Chromiak's on the total upswing, and being that he outscored Shane Wright uh, as far as goals and everything this year, and the amount of one timers he's clapping for for in the World Juniors and stuff like that, the highlight level plays gets fans intrigued. I'm sure that intrigued you as well, Carl. Oh yeah, definitely. Like. Uh, like I said, I didn't even think to go with Turcotte. So I was like, uh, Chromiak seems like the player who fits best and is actually kind of attainable as the prospect. But it, it sounds like the situation may be different. Um, 
In which case, yeah, uh, I, I think Coyotes fans would be annoyed if we trade Chikrin, uh, just in general. But mm-hmm. but if you can get a, a good return, uh, most of them do not like the Kings, so that's going to sting. <laughs> but it's no longer a division rival, so they can learn to deal with it. I was going to come at it from a little bit of a different angle. Like I said, I was trying to look at the prospect pool, look at the young players on the team, and the way I look at it is I see some intriguing young forwards, right? There's Barrett Hayton. You mentioned Clayton Keller, who's somebody I really like. And then, you know, there's Gunther, Jan Yannick, Mateus Michelli. So the – what my perception is that it's very thin on the back end. So I was going to come at this where my kind of – centerpiece i guess you could say is brock faber it was going to be something like brock faber a first round pick and i i personally whichever first round pick you would want whether that's 2020 this year or next year um tobias bjornfoot again looking at it from a thin defensive group wanting to include him and then that fourth piece which again i I would i i'm thinking at least there were rumors earlier of a gabe velarde uh, Arizona likes Gabe Velarde. I remember seeing that rumor on Twitter, so it has to be true. Um, that, I, and, and I think he's an extremely skilled player. Russ mentioned he's had some injuries as a former first first round pick, um, but still, still somebody that art. I don't know, Russ Randon. I, he could be as talented a prospect that's still in the King system, despite him kind of not yet cracking. So, I would probably come at it more. I approached it from the more de- kind of defense heavy. So Faber. Bjornfoot, a first, and then that that next prospect could be kind of negotiable, whether it's a Velarde or somebody else, another forward prospect. The Tyler Madden is another example. Um, so I was curious. Again, it, it sounds like there's there's at least some wiggle room here, but um, I went at it from the, the defense side, and that makes sense. Um, we like the we've been talking about the Coyotes. Looking towards the defense, um, they're trying uh, as a position they're trying to bolster, anyways. Especially since they would end up, lo- they're going to end up losing uh, Chikrin, and there's also still the question of whether or not gonna, they're going to re-sign um, Anton Strawman because there's another defense they're going to lose, defenseman they're going to lose. So like, <clears throat> like all right, you got to figure out what they're going to do for the next you know year or two. Mm-hmm. Um, and defense they're lacking, and you don't want to rush any of the more any of the defensemen that they that that came up from the Roadrunners because. Yeah, they played well, but like we want to, we want them to stay down in Tucson for the next couple of years. We don't want them up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the team was very smart in not bringing Soderstrom up. Uh, but you know, JJ Mosier was playing with the Coyotes, and he was a second round pick last year. <laughs> it's amazing what happens when when hands get forced, and then all of a sudden you have to start playing these kids maybe a little faster than you want to. Yeah. And he looked good. Uh, he was, uh, you know, an older player who was drafted, so it wasn't as big a leap as you know some of them. But he he played well. I, I'm, sure, I'm sure the team would have rather he spent like, you know, a year adjusting to the NHLs in Tucson, though. Yeah, I think it's it's going to be interesting, and I, you know, maybe this opens up the dialogue of of the amount in return that you possibly could get from a fan base that's so loaded from the Kings that is more desperate for that because. We've been talking for weeks that we view the left side of the defense as our biggest weakness on the team, and a team like the Kings who wants to compete even further than they did last year with 99 points, you know, you guys have the exact piece that we need at a, at a cost-controlled level for multiple years to where three pieces 
like you came at us with initially would have been an instant yes. And now that we already pre-offered four and we're maybe talking five pieces, depending on where they are in the prospect pool, you know, I think that you guys could get quite a haul, which would mean a quicker rebuild considering the seven picks won't be, you know, ready for quite some time that you guys have this year. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, that, and, 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 um, not only is that more enticing, is it just more enticing with the extra, the, those extra assets, but like we've like, I'll, I'll even, you know, throw out like our most, our most recent, uh, offer was from, uh, from the guys who do Toronto Maple Leafs and what they gave us, uh, Carl, like I like Carl, Carl laughed at it. The first, the first thing he saw it. And I was like, maybe. And then I look at it like the, every minute I'm just like, Oh God. Oh no. Oh no. <laughs> Maple Leafs fans have been trying to sell us back Jake Muzzin all summer. And, <laughs> and it's like, we don't want him. Like this is not, it's not where we are. No offense to the, the, the fuzz muzz, but he, ain't, he ain't coming back here. Thank you for the cups. But they wanted I, us to take Peter Mrazek's contract. Yeah, that was that was a that was I a thing where I hope there was a like, lot coming back with that. No, no, not really. <laughs> That's the conversation, Carl. And I was like, "Do we try to shake them for uh, for Matthew Nyes? I think we should shake them for Matthew Nyes because that's not a <laughs> yeah." I and mean, I think that that was... that's why that's why the Kings and the Coyotes are, are always kind of rumored together because I mean it just makes sense because I mean the Kings have probably one of the top two, top three prospect pools in the NHL and when you're able to give away four high quality assets like we have kind of just mentioned for a player like Chikrin it almost feels like a match made in heaven because I mean you're not going to be able to get probably that type of deal from a team like the Maple Leafs and or any other team that's looking to acquire Chikrin because I mean if unless they have the biggest pro bigger prospect pool the Kings will be able to, to outmatch that so that's probably why we'll hear those teams our, our two teams kind of involved here. Before, before I let you guys go, Carter Scores comes in with a hypothetical, and I think this is an interesting one that I thought, do you ignore the Kings offer if the Panthers offer Lundell or Knight? Knight being a top-end goalie that you guys could have for over a decade, already some NHL experience. Would a, a premier position like a goalie be more than the, the, the packages of defensemen or, or a top-end forward? I remember the first rumors were were Knight from the Panthers as one of the packages going to the Coyotes. And I don't think either of us really believe that the Panthers would actually give up Knight, especially since it, it sounds like they're looking to shop Bobrovsky. So I, I don't know what that situation would be like. Um, a goalie that could last you know, for a decade – I, I, I'm never sure how the Coyotes feel about Ivan Prosvetov. He has not played too many NHL games. They're keeping him in the AHL. The few games he's had is against some of the worst comp or best competition in the league. So his numbers haven't looked great, but I don't know. Spencer Knight is one of those players. It's another one where I just, I don't see them as being actually available. If they are, that's something I got to think about. Robin, does yeah. that change it for you too? Um, it definitely puts that. Yeah, I definitely agree with Carl on that, and it definitely puts the thought in there because, like, you know, I was thinking um, too the long for, for a while that like there's no way Knight would be available, but if he, but yeah, if he is, then like, yeah, okay, that opens the door for conversation. We'll keep hearing, and maybe we'll like we'll listen to like a bidding war, whatever it is. Like, we want to completely ignore any any offers. 
we'll take things. We'll we'll take them in. Let's see, let's see who does who 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 makes the best offer. You know what, Carl Robin. Rob Blake may not be willing to include Alex Turcotte, but Russell, myself, and Randon are. So tell Armstrong to give us a shout, and we'll see what we can do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, we'll just pass along your information. Uh, I'm sure you guys can get this done. <laughs> well, I appreciate you guys for coming on. As uh, um, Thank you so much. Again, they are from Locked On Coyotes. Give them a fall, uh, follow on online. All their Twitter handles are scrolling across the bottom, also in the descriptions. Appreciate you guys coming on. Uh, and and talking the dialogue of a trade that maybe has been a little one-sided from Kings fans and kind of get some perspective into the opposite end. Thank you for having us. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks. Have a good one, guys. Thank you. Thanks. All righty. So we're going to go into the Kings portion of this podcast, but first we got our wonderful sponsor from DraftKings here. Hockey fans, the pursuit of the Stanley Cup is on, and DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL, has an unbelievable offer for the most exciting playoffs in sports. New customers can bet just $5 on any team to win and get $100 in free bets, no matter what, win or lose. Looking to turn a small bet into a big payday during the playoffs? With DraftKings Same Game Parlays, you can do just that. Create your own parlay by combining multiple bets, just like which team will win, how many goals will be scored, and more. If... Kadri will score with six men on the ice. It's your shot for even a bigger payout. DraftKings is safe, secure, reliable, and best of all, you can deposit and withdraw cash whenever you want. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use promo code THPN. Bet $5 on any NHL team to win and get $100 in free bets no matter what. That's code THPN at DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. Minimum age and eligibility restrictions may apply. See show notes for details. So, guys, what did you guys think about that? I mean, interesting view of how they view the Coyotes and, and what kind of prospects were maybe touchable or untouchable. Yeah, and, and you know, what I'm curious about, it, and so they from the outside look at it as Alex Turcotte probably not being available, and I, I'm genuinely curious as to what his availability actually is. I appreciate, mm-hmm. Russell, you throwing him in there because I think, yeah, I'm in on that if that's the case um, because – Again, you're, you're looking at a, a, a guy in Chikrin that, that completely fills a need. And what I really appreciated that they threw in was all the context of, of like, there's a lot of, of there was a lot of adversity that, that Chikrin went through this year that maybe, uh, you know, we didn't know about or didn't think about or didn't think to consider that you got to remember sometimes these guys are human and they're not robots. And when things get, get changed in a new coach and a new system and, you know, he's got somebody that he was really close with gets traded before the year, like there's a lot Maybe of that partner. That, yeah. 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 So all that stuff plays a factor. Some guys, you know, a, a bigger factor than others. So um, I think, you know, that's something to really be considered, not to mention his name has been tossed around in trade rumors all season virtually. So, I mean, I'm sure that weighs on you as well. So mm-hmm. I don't know. I think it was, it was just good to, to, to get that kind of additional perspective. For sure. For sure. All right, so uh, all LA Kings fans, it's all LA Kings from here on out. And, and today we're talking about future young stars. So, you know, former first-round picks, high-end and picks that are on the cusp of consistent NHL time or have earned NHL time. And, like, what do we expect out of them next season? And so I feel like we, let's start for let's start with the, the two guys that are, are definitely NHL players with the Byfield and Kaliev. And, and maybe their paths for next season, what do we expect from them? I'm just going to throw out Kaliev because I think he had the most time with the Kings last year. 
as our starting point. Where do you view his expectations as far as what you think he should be at next season? I'll start with Joe on this one. Well, I started last season where I thought he should make the team and I wanted him to get a shot in the top six. Um, and I was wrong because I think he really excelled. I think the Kings did a great job easing him in on the fourth line and, and credit to him. Like some guys that are that generally used to being top six guys, maybe they struggle in that role and, you know, maybe he struggled in it, but if he did, he, he really worked at it to get better and better. And I think that's only going to help him as his career goes on. Now, I would like to see my expectation for him is, and I, I don't, Love the idea of putting, uh, and not to say that you asked this, but like putting a number on a guy, like he's got to score 20 goals or X amount mm -hmm. of goals. I want to see. Well, him. well, Richard does, and he says 15 <laughs> to 20. <laughs> fair enough. That's fair. That's, that's very fair. What I want to see him is I, I'd like to see him, if he's given that opportunity to play in a more advanced role, maybe a more middle six role. Uh, I'd love the idea of him if he's not, in on that top line or in that top six, him along Quinton Byfield, I think is is uh, uh, I'm a big fan of that option. I would love to see him on the power play. Um, I thought he looked great in the bumper role when he was put there. So if he has those opportunities, then I would expect the production to follow. Um, so that's kind of my, I guess my, my way to answer the question is I'm hoping that he, his, his off season is strong. He has a good preseason and he's able to, to show that maybe his skating is just a little bit better. He's a little bit more of a well-rounded player. And now what comes natural to him shooting the puck, the offensive side of the game, the off the way he's creative in the offensive zone, he can now do that a little bit more comfortably. Um, and hopefully the Kings give him kind of some bigger roles. Yeah. I think the whole notion of trying to put like a t goal total on this season is it, it kind of sets you up for maybe some disappointment. Cause I mean, that's like a definite goal that he'll have to reach that he, if he doesn't reach that goal, then all of a sudden you think it's a, a, a not a great year for him, which, can't be the case because maybe he doesn't put up 15 goals and he still maybe has like 40 assists or whatever. Right. Because I mean, with Kaliev, <laughs> I think the thing that surprised us a lot this season is that his playmaking ability and the skating hasn't really been an issue either. So his mm -hmm. defensive his defensive game has been actually pretty good. It's actually been one of the betters in, uh, among all the young players. I think if the, his the way his skating and and for me it's it's how well he thinks the game and I I, I threw out a club a couple of clips of him when he was used a bumper roll in the playoffs and the PP article that I wrote he's really he's he's a natural is the way I would put it like mm -hmm. you can tell he's not overthinking he's not unsure of where he needs to be he's very fluid he's one touching pucks when he needs to be so I just feel like he is so comfortable in the offensive zone. He just seems to know where to fit his body. Like he, like he know he knows distances, even though yeah. he's not looking at other players. Like he just senses think, them. I think there's this notion because of the shot he has, like he has to be on his offhand. Yeah. The one timer, he doesn't. He is that what he's so good. He doesn't need to do that. His release is so quick and it's so deadly that he doesn't need a lot to get it off. So he could be extremely effective in the bumper for multiple reasons. One is obviously his shot. Two, Russ, you said it, he's kind of an underrated passer and he can distribute from the bumper as well. And I always go back to the goal he scored in the World Juniors from a standstill um, to win to win the medal uh, against, I think it was against Finland, from yeah. the bumper roll. Like, I would love to see him there. Obviously, you know, uh, with Marco Sturman, it's going to be a different 
we'll see what type of look the power play gets this year. But boy, did he look good. And he looked so comfortable there and where to be without the puck and where to move without the puck that that's why I think the numbers will come if he's put in a role to just let him free flow in the offensive zone a little bit. So what I, yeah. what I, what I saw on the Stanley Cup, and uh, granted this is you know a higher level of what we're talking about here, but Kucherov and Stamkos were on opposite sides. They're both setting themselves up for one-timers, and you have an elite defenseman being able to distribute the puck to both sides. And you see that, and I think you could find that. I mean, no, no, no offense to – and I don't think it has to be on the first line. Like Even if it's on the second line with Victor Arvidsson and Kaliev, and then you have Sean Dersey distributing the puck on both sides – like that would be an excellent, and I I don't necessarily think that people think of Kaliev as a half wall type player. Like, but he can make those cross ice passes to Victor Arvidsson. He could do those things. And if you get a Gabe Velarde that played the bumper role in the rain and mm-hmm. have all those availabilities, I think also the personnel. You know, just a side note, we don't have a lot of righties, so like you're getting a lot of offhand or you know same sides there, and it's hard to match up the players right. on where they need to go and, and a player that we'll talk about later later in, in Kupari and Velarde could have spots in those. But I think it could be the bumper. It could be the one-time shot, but I think maybe instead of, you know, as far as like what Richard's saying here, like get all your best players on the first power play. I think they just need to have two effective power plays and like, and really get going and have the line mates that gel rather than just put all, all your top offensive weapons on one. Maybe I'm in, in the minority in that, but you watch now. This is just the pinnacle of of the power play, but Colorado and Tampa, mm-hmm. like that puck just moves around so quickly because the chemistry's there. I think maybe chemistry is more important than than the individual offensive talent, or maybe that's because of the individual offensive talent. Yeah, I'm, I'm actually, yeah, I'm actually really glad you mentioned that because the thing with Kaliev is that we've seen him be a really good player and a really good playmaker, and I think a lot of the production's going to have to maybe come from a good playmaker playing alongside him. And that's why when player, when we talk about with Kalia, and I've heard a lot of people talk that, oh, we need to see Arthur Kalia in the top six this year. I'm like, okay, well, this whole notion of like numbering the lines, especially for the Kings this past season, when you look at it, I mean, at points, the two best lines on the Kings were the second line with Deneau and the fourth line with Blake Lazat. I mean, the Kopitar line for a while there wasn't producing at all. So, I think you just really have to try to find some sort of chemistry with Kaliev. And then I guess it's a good lead into our next player is Quentin Byfield. Quentin Byfield and Kaliev, I think for a great developmental year for those two players would be for them to find chemistry with each other. Because with Kaliev, it's hard for him to find individual goals, like to be that player where he's able to, he's not the player that's going to be able to make his own shots. He's going to have to, he's better when he's set up for, is open space or opportunities, one-timers, whatnot. So he needs to have that playmaker played alongside him. And I think if Quentin Byfield is able to take the next step this year, we'll see that happen where Arthur Kaliev will also start scoring a lot more. I, I'm with you there. I think that's a really good fit uh, for Kaliev. And I think, you know, we've talked about Byfield a little bit, and I made the statement, uh, I don't know, a couple shows back that, you know, because Russ, it was a, it was in response to a comment you said where where you know the game hasn't quite slowed down for Byfield yet. He showed yep. like moments where like okay, there it is, right? But it's just not consistent yet. That's why I think he he had a, a good amount of games under his belt this year. He will have a good start to the season. Hopefully, everything's healthy. Knock on wood, all that stuff. And that's why I say come you know holiday time between like Thanksgiving, Christmas. I think 
things are going to start to click and things are going to start to slow down for him. And I think we're going to see a, a, a really big year, relatively speaking, whatever people, again, I, I hate putting numbers on, like he's going to score 50 points. What I, you know, I think he's going to have a very productive year, particularly in the second half of the year. I think it's going to start to settle in for him. And if he can do that alongside an Arthur Kaliev, boy, you, you could have mm -hmm. a really dangerous option for the third line. And I think you're right. Like Russ, when it comes to numbering the lines and stuff, I just think it just comes, it boils down to ice time. Right. I mean, yeah. Kaliev, I think it was a it was despite a lot of people, myself included, not thinking that'd be a great fit for him, he utilized the minutes that he got and and it worked. Now playing on a line above with Byfield instead of Lazat, he's gonna get a handful of more minutes, uh, particularly if he's gonna play some special teams. I think that's gonna be huge for the both of them. So uh, I, I really like that idea. Yeah, I think with Quentin Byfield, it's it's hard because last season Going into preseason, man, he looked like one of the best mm -hmm. players on the ice. I mean, mm -hmm. just not even just the youngsters, just the best overall player on the Kings. Yep. And then it sucks. I mean, I remember exactly being up in the press box, seeing him go into that corner, and I just, like, sat back like, damn, that sucks. Because you just knew automatically <clears throat> it was going to be multiple, like, a lot of time that he was going to have to miss. And then, and then all of a sudden he gets healthy, which was great, and then he comes back and then he gets put on COVID. And then he has to go play in the AHL. And then he joins a team that all of a sudden is in this big playoff push. So there's so much kind of emphasis and, and, and like impactful games that he's playing in such an early stage of his career, especially out of the age he was at. I think this offseason is going to be huge for him to kind of mentally reset, get back healthy again, and come into training camp like he did last year, um, have a real solid training camp, go into the preseason, come out healthy, and have a good start to the year. Because if he's able to start the year how he was probably expected to start this past year, I think you're probably looking at a really good good year um, for Quentin Byfield where those two could kind of develop some chemistry. And I think it gets kind of overlooked sometimes, the idea that he didn't start the year. You're mm -hmm. coming back in, like you're, you're entering midseason, right, where everybody's kind of in, in – game speed, they're up to speed, they're, they're in the flow of it, they're in the routine. You know, we saw this with Akeel Thomas in Ontario. His first 20 games were, it was rough. And then mm -hmm. he went nuts the second half, and he had a great second half. And now he's now become, he's reinserted himself into being like an intriguing prospect against for the Kings. I, I don't think that can be overlooked, that he really just didn't start the season fresh. I and mean, that that can be tough to, especially when you're you're trying to make a, a name for yourself at the NHL. And you got to just jump in and in the kind of swing of the things as such a young player. So, yeah. We, I think and you know what's what's wild? And I was thinking about it. It's it's this is the first time we've done an eighty-two game season in what three yeah. years now? Yeah. So last year we go into it fifty-six games. Every game is so has so much meaning tied to it. I mean, each game was like we're three point something points is what they calculated down to. And before that was seventy games. So now it's it's wild to think that the NHL season is still going on. Like, we're still in the same season where the Kings opened up with a 6-2 victory over the Vegas Golden Knights. <laughs> that feels like it was five years ago. So now that we've kind of gone through this whole motion, this long season where he kind of just jumped in and then kind of was trying to make a playoff push that all these games were so serious, I think if he's able to start the year and play some maybe less meaningful games in October <laughs> where there's not as much pressure on him, I think we're going to see a little bit more comfortability out of Quentin Byfield where the game does start slowing down for him. Agreed. 
Yep. Okay. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna not rein in the caution. I'm gonna go full bore. And I, I believe he needs to produce a lot more. I believe you looked at you look at his stats last year. I mean, ten points in forty games. So if you played a full season, you're looking at twenty points total from the you know his second year of of development. To me, that's a little bit less than what I would expect. And then the penalty minutes. He's he's committing a penalty almost every single other game. Uh, you know, and and whether that's slowing it down or whatever, like he needs to rein that in because he's not playing very many minutes yet. He's committing a lot of penalties, and so I think there's a lot of stuff that he should be able to rein in or needs to to be able to take that development step. And so I know you guys are not wanting to put at point totals, but to me, if if he doesn't score 40 total points next season with the expected extra power play time, I think it's a little bit of a disappointment in his development for his second overall pick. And I'm okay with that. Like if you if you take that and and and. I'm okay with that. I think that's a fair number. Uh, if you're going to put one on it, I think that's reasonable. Now, however he gets there, if it's, you know, I mean, shoot, if he did 20 and 20, I think a lot of people would be pumped if he scores 20 goals. But even if he scores, if he goes 10 and 30, 15, 25, I, a good balance there. Like, I, I do think that that's fair. Well, I think, and I think what, where those, these young players like Byfield and Kaliev, where they weren't able to find success and really the whole team wasn't able to find success is they're not getting those cheap kind of secondary assists on the power play. Right. Because the power play was so bad. I mean, you look at Moritz Sider, I think half of his points came on the power play. So if a team with, especially when Drew Doughty goes out, you kind of have to move up some power play players like Sean Dersey was have to, had to play that first power play unit. I mean, if and especially if the Kings are able to add a player like Chikrin who's going to be able to be that quarterback on the power play to set up those players to maybe even make, give that secondary apple to Cali over Byfield and maybe uh, make those numbers look a little bit better than they would. I think Kings fans would be a little bit more appreciative of the development at that point. Mm -hmm. So I think the lack of power play has also kind of hampered not just them, but maybe the Kings, all the Kings youngsters as a whole was trying to find some more points to get a little bit more excited about prospects. I think we have some comments here that's an interesting part of this for the Byfield is Richard's coming here. Byfield's super young. Let him uh, let him uh, put on some more muscle and work out his physicality. You also have Draylen. Thank you for coming in. First time commenter on, on the pod here. Once Byfield packs on some more muscle and weight, he'll dominate. And I think Ray Ferraro talked about this at the World Juniors is a players that are this big, just as there's not very many forwards that are under 5'9 that make the league or 5'10", there also isn't a lot of centers that dominate the league that are over, you know, 6'4", 6'5", 230. It's just he's getting in his weight. He's still growing. I know I felt like a giraffe on ice skates when I was going through all my my growth spurts at 6'5". And so, like, being able to build on some real man muscle, I mean, you're still putting on weight at 20 years old. You're still, put like, filling in some, some man uh, muscle, as they call it. And I think he'll be able to be a little bit more used to the uh, – the NHL game and that could lead to the slowing down for him. And, and I, I, out of the three of us, I've been the most as far as demanding on what on my expectations is. And if you guys have been a little bit more patient, but I do think this is uh, a side to walk patient on is that kids grow into their bodies and are used to their bodies in different ways. Most kids that aren't that big have their body since they were 15, 16 years old and they're, you're used to it already growing through that. And so Byfield is going to have to get used to not being the biggest guy on the ice used to be able to box, box it out. And somebody mentioned Froloff up there. If we get Froloff to come in and, and teach him how to use that would be great. But I, I think that's something to be said about here because that's you see the work that that um, Kopitar does in the faceoff circle with his size, in the corners with his size, and and you mentioned it 
Russ, Kaliev needs that guy that can feed him the puck because, as Joe said, he's an expert at finding the, the dead zones of the ice where he can be the most lethal, and you need Byfield to not be able to be shook off the puck. And we saw that in the playoffs where like the puck would just go off his stick for no reason or he would lose it trying to start a rush or those types of things. And like I said, slowing down and, and all that kind of stuff would come into those things. And ultimately, my I guess my rant culminates in – in the the size generating this kind of stuff, I that's why I expect forty plus points from him is because I do expect him to make progress in those areas. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that Ray Ferraro because I remember that um, statement that he made where he was talking about that specifically how it's kind of hard for a player, especially like Byfield, his size when you kind of get those maybe growth spurts and you're trying to learn how to play with the body that's growing each day. So it's going to be hard, especially for for a player uh, as tall as he is. But um, I think patience still has to be kind of like the main thing that we have to think about here. Because I'm, I'm looking at as the last – Quentin Byfield, he's the first teenager to play 40 games in a season for the Kings since Drew Doughty. So this this doesn't really happen that often, especially for the Kings who have been a team where they're not known to kind of push prospects right into the fire and just kind of let them percolate a bit. They've, they've almost maybe held withheld a little bit. Um, and especially with all the coronavirus and the shortened seasons and everything, I think mm-hmm. this season it's hard to put a point total on what to expect because, I mean, it's just like I, like I said, it just sets up players for failure. But, I mean, if you want to see him get 40 points, I think that should be a realistic possibility for him. And, let, and let's not forget, it was an ankle injury. Yeah. So he, he couldn't skate, right? So it's mm-hmm. not as if he had – you know, a hand injury or something where he at least could stay on the ice and stay in that kind of uh, skating shape as much as you can. So there, there's a lot that that went into Byfield season that, uh, you know, if, if he has a healthy offseason, you know, then, yeah, there's, then there's no excuses, right? Um, no. So hopefully that's the case. And, and you know, it, sometimes it doesn't happen. And, and you know, there I'm not calling him a bust by any means, but you look at the number one overall pick, Alexis Lafreniere, who everybody thought was a, a gimme pick. His points per game only went up 0.02 from his first season to his second season. Obviously, the Rangers are in the same similar spot as the Kings as they're on the upward trajectory. And minutes and usage have a lot to do with that. As the team's being competitive, do they rely? We saw that they didn't rely on the youngsters for Mm -hmm. integral minutes, where if you're the Ducks, you're throwing Zagris out there in every single possibility. If you're the Detroit Red Wings, you're giving Lucas Raymond every chance to shoot the puck as he possibly can, more each cider. And so... Time on ice, I think, will be a, a big effectiveness as well. Uh, but sometimes it that has to be earned. And you saw it with Alexis Lafreniere, only 0.02 points per game better. Can Quentin Byfield, you know, essentially double his point total, you know, from from his projected last season? That's a tall ask for me, but I think he can do it if he hits those things. And the defensive zone cleanups, right? If he's not creating that many penalties, he's earning more trust, he's going to get more ice time. Tricky to try to have guys, young players, key, key young players, Kelly of Byfield, these are key players. Kapari show development at the NHL, yet also be a team that's expected to win or uh, contend for the playoffs, we'll say, which they did. Mm-hmm. Obviously, they made it. But I think in doing so, I think that's, and I talked about this too, it's a bit of a separate conversation where I think McClellan is going to lean on what he trusts. He was not going to lean on the young guys to get him. They were that close to the playoffs, and he did what he had to do to get there. And I, I look at it this way, and this is a different this is a different sport, but Patrick Mahomes with the Chiefs and the way Andy Reid was calling games with with Alex Smith being conservative, doing whatever he needed to do, 
relying on the run game. Well, you got a completely different dynamic player under center. He had to change his coaching style. He had mm-hmm. to realize that, hey, Mahomes is going to make plays and he needs to be able to make plays. Same thing with Josh Allen up there in, in Buffalo for you. You could take the good with the bad. And, and obviously there was a lot more good. And I think some, I think T-Mac needs to realize that as a coach, and hopefully he does, that you got to allow these young players to do the things why you drafted them for. You drafted Byfield to be a number one center for over 15 years and be a point-per-game player. If you're not going to allow him to, to go through the aches and pains because you can you can litigate line time, like what's the point then? Like at that point, trade him away for a player that you trust because if he's not going to earn that development time or be given that development time and chance to make those mistakes, then what's the point of having him on the ice if he's only playing eight minutes a night? I think I think we'll see that timeline ice increase, and because yeah. it's a lot easier to throw out a young player at a game in October and November than it is in a game in. April, March, or yep. whatever. So March, April. So it's like, yeah, it's with the last time I'm looking at his his game logs, and he only had four games where he played 15 minutes a game, and two of those games were the last games in, in or against Seattle. Um, one was a game at, at home to Nashville where he had the three point game that was actually one of his better games this past season, and the other one was a game against Colorado where the Kings lost four to one. So it's hard. Like like I talked about, he came back to a team that was all of a sudden in a playoffs push that they weren't exactly. expected to be in. So when you're trying when you're playing real serious type games and pressure filled games, it's hard to give him the 15 plus minutes a game. So I'm hoping I'm hoping I'm on that we're going to be seeing him consistently play maybe 15 minutes a game in those maybe first 10 or so 10 15 games of the year so that we can get his feet wet and kind of see how the development is going a bit. Agree. So we're on to the next group here guys and, th- and this group has been up for cup, they've gotten cups of coffee. Maybe they've been more than cups of coffee. And, and in the case of Rasmus Kupari, gotten playoff cups of coffee. That's ex, that's extra caffeine for you. And <laughs> and and then get sent back down for some some games in Ontario. Get brought back up. Uh, multiple, all three of these guys have had injury concerns. And the three guys we're talking about is Rasmus Kupari, Gabe Velarde, and Alex Turcott. All first round picks. All guys that have had high expectations in this rebuild. And and have had pitfalls. And Draylon kicks it off as I know a lot of people have given up on him, but I still have hope for Turcott. Loved watching him in Ontario. Think he be could be our next Brown. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the Dustin Brown as far as the goal scoring, but I like him and the fact that maybe he could be an 18 year king. Uh, Joe, why don't you start with uh, being a, making the rain co-host here, Washington mainly. Do you agree with the sentiments of his game when he was on the ice in Ontario? I do. Uh, and if you look at his points, uh, his production per 60 minutes, because it's so hard, he didn't play very much because of all the injuries and, and whatnot that he had throughout the season. But on a per 60 minute basis, like he was, I mean, it, it came as a surprise, I guess, to me, just because, you know, of the turmoil that he had. But scoring chances, uh, he was, I think, second best forward on the rain in scoring chances per 60 minutes assist per 60 minutes again he was the second on the rain uh in that category so you're seeing a player that he was noticeable whenever he was on the ice now i have legitimate questions slash concerns as to whether or not he's going to be a first line top line top six productive type of forward in the nhl which is going to label him a bust for a lot of people. But 
I do think this is still a player that's an NHL talent. Like, in and in, in when you did watch him in the rain, it's not as if you were like, "Where's Alex Turcotte?" He was involved in the play. He was buzzing. He was in on a forecheck. So I, I do think there's something here still. All I'm asking for, and you had asked for expectations in the last question. My ex, my my expectations. I don't even want to think about NHL for Alex Turcotte. It's not even in my brain. It's not in my mind anywhere. I want the kid to have a healthy season and I prefer it. Let's start him in Ontario and let him string together 30, 40, 50 games, God forbid of healthy, just see how he goes. Right. And, and let's see it all play out and let's get him feet, get his feet wet, get him to string some games together. That's my expectation or slash hope is that he just has a healthy stretch of games that we can actually evaluate. How can you evaluate the kid? If we're being like, Yes, we all have questions about where he's going to be, but look how little bit of hockey he's played. It's in, it's out, it's in, it's out because of injuries over the last two years. Again, that stuff matters. These aren't humans. And now he's he's out with the concussion. Hopefully he responds okay to that. Um, I don't know. I, I, well, let I, me throw this directly to you then, Joe. On, on what is, if a healthy, I mean, all projections are assuming <clears throat> health. Mm-hmm. What is what does a healthy season from Turcotte look like for me? Okay. So here's the thing. And I, I think maybe this little I was thinking about this the other day. Like this is where I would love to see Alex Turcotte is and I know he played mostly center, and I think that's where the Kings still probably envision him is as a center. So that I expect that come time for Ontario that that's where he'll be as a center. But you know where he would look excellent we talked about who's on the right side you know assuming martin Furk doesn't come back and you know a guy like fagim or chromiak would be perfect on the right side of tj tynan i think alex turcock could be perfect on the left you have that type of forechecking buzzing winger who who has playmaking ability i think he can he can be a guy if they want to transition him to wing to play on that top line with tynan and either uh fagim or chromiak and i think you're looking at a player like if, if, if you're asking Randy to, to say, okay, if he's a healthy season and he's going to play 70 games, what are we looking at? I want to see 45 to 50 points out of Alex Turcotte because um, he's going to play, even if he doesn't play there, he's going to play second line center. He's going to get he's going to get 2C and number one PP minutes almost guaranteed. So if he's going to get those minutes, he's going to play a healthy uh, set of games and he's going to play, we'll call it a full season, then yeah, then, then I want to see – this type of jump in production because I do think that's fair, but I'm, I'm, I, I'm just, I just, it's hard to say because we haven't seen it because he hasn't been able to play, but I think there's, there's a player in there. I'm, I'm a little bit, it's, it's, it's so hard with Turcotte because I mean like all this stuff just talked about, I'm looking at the 2019 draft and it's just, you looked at what just happened the other day on, on, <laughs> on Tuesday that it's NHL awards, the player that won the Calder, was the player picked right after Alex Turcotte and Mark Sider at number six overall. And he's a one of only eight players that hasn't played at least 10 games in the NHL in the first round of that draft. So it's, it's, it's so tough because you know, there's a good player there. You just know. And I, and I want to say I'm a little bit harder on it on with him. Cause I think for him this season, and obviously health is the most important priority um, mm-hmm. to come into training camp. But I think, he needs to be on the opening night lineup um, this season. Really, really? I, I'm, I'm not going to say raw. I'm not going to. I'm not gonna, actually. I'm not going to say the opening night lineup. Um, he needs to be on the opening night roster. 
I don't, for I don't the think Kings. He, okay. for the Kings. I think that okay. needs to happen for Alex Turcotte. And I think it's just because of it just has to get some confidence back in him. Mm. And it's it's let's, hard. Let's get some world let's get some world junior chemistry back with the Kaliev Byfield Turcotte line, huh? Yeah, why, why I mean why not? Like you have hey. um Yeah, I mean last year I look back at the I look back at the Arizona rookie faceoff that the rookie tournament. And Alex Turcotte actually was probably one of the better players on the ice for a team that had Quentin Byfield, Arthur Kaliev, um, Martin Kromiak, all these really good players. And Alex Turcotte actually showed out. I thought Turcotte and Jersey were actually two of the best players on that team. So when Turcotte is healthy, he's he's been he's been shown to be a real almost kind of pest on the puck. He's great on the forecheck. He can kind of get you those corner pucks and dish you it out, dish it out to the middle. So with Turcotte, I think if he's able to stay healthy um, and, and be healthy throughout training camp and throughout the preseason, I think he needs to make that next up and at least make no, the opening night um, roster and mm. possibly play a game or two um, in the first couple seasons and the first couple games. But it's it's just hard because I say that and then you think about players like Gabe Velarde, Rasmus Kupari, Jared Anderson Dolan, Samuel Fagimo. Where do these players all fit? If Alex Turcott is making the next jump, and that's but I think for Turcott, it's just as a Kings fan, you you you're, you're watching it and you just see all these names. You see Trevor Zegers. I mean, the 2019 draft is actually shaping up to be probably one of the better drafts uh, in quite some time. It's looking like that 2003 draft, really, with how good some of these players are playing. But with Turcott, I think he needs to make the next step, and the opening night roster would probably be a good point, um, a good step for him, and a good uh, shot of confidence in his arm a bit. I think I would agree with that if he had a down year, like production-wise, but he played, right? He played mm-hmm. 60 games. You know, I think I think the rain played because it wasn't a full, uh, I think it was 63 games, I want to say, um, 65 games in that, in that range. It wasn't a 70-game season. It was still a, a bit of a shorter season. And he, he, I think he only played 37, I think, if I'm not missing, 27, even less. So, uh, man, I I think I would agree with that if he played more and just mm-hmm. like you know what, sort of like they did with Byfield, like he he got he played some games, they got him going, they said okay, let's 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 he's ready, it's time. Where where we just haven't had a chance to see it because he had a hard time stringing games together. Like he missed time at the end, he missed time in the in the middle. You know, he, he kind of it was in and out like he missed a couple of weeks, if I'm not mistaken, Randall, toward the down the stretch. Like we didn't see him. Um, and then he was back for playoffs, gets a concussion. But to Russell's I, effect, what what does the mental part of the game contribute to this? Like, well, going to start. And could yeah. you imagine fans? Let me this hypothetical here. Could you imagine <clears> the third line being Byfield, Turcotte, Kaliev, the fourth line being Lazat? Kupari and like Velarde and Clark makes the opening night lineup on right shot. Like all the first round picks that we've been waiting to see get one game together, like a, just a fan like oh. appreciation. Like that would be just, <laughs> I, I love the Twitter idea. anarchy. I'm, I bet It'd be Twitter anarchy. You'd probably see that in the preseason. <laughs> if, but. if he does what you say, Russ, and has a healthy off season, he's able to get on the ice and he's able to have a full, you know, preseason, full camp, all that stuff. And he does show well. I'm not going to sit here and necessarily argue it at that point. My preference is I want the kid to play hockey, period, and let the rest mm-hmm. like. And I know it's maybe it's it's tough because of where he was drafted and patience is wearing thin. And I I can appreciate um, all of that, but at the same time, 
he's played 59 games at, and and it's not like a straight 59 games as we've talked about it's a 59 games that's in it's out he's in he's out he's out for extended period he's back he's out i w- just and maybe that's this is me being a little too patient and maybe it's because we can the kings can they have so many other guys that can slot into third line left wing or on mm-hmm. that fourth line that they don't have to let him that so that's I take the approach of like when there were calls last year to bring Turk out up and I said why for mm-hmm. what reason other than Zegris is up like what is no, that for, but, for, I think for mental thing has to do a lot for a prospect like a cup of coffee is going to do a lot it, for his mental state maybe maybe but is it better to bring him up and then send him back <laughs> like what we're getting to the Velarde situation you know exactly because that that hasn't gone too well so I I I think if if everything falls well or everything goes right. Right, and he's he has, and he does exactly what you say, Russ, and he earns the spot. I will tip my cap and and root for him and hope hope he does well and hope he stays healthy. If there's any hesitation or any anything, I don't see a problem with having him st- start in Ontario again and just go play and get healthy, kid. Like have a have mm-hmm. a because you know what? What's if he if he's healthy and he's going to play top six minutes, he's going to play in the power play in Ontario. If in the first 20 games of the season he lights it up and he has 20 to 30 points, now you've got yourself a guy who's oozing with confidence and he's now not knocking on the door. He's beating it down to say, I'm ready. Let's go. I'm healthy and I'm ready. Get me up there. That's kind of the way I approach this season for Turcotte. So I, I, I'd love to see that, and I hope we do, but um, there's, it's been so difficult with him. It's been so tough to evaluate. Good things come to those who wait, says Richard. The story of Turcotte. I believe this 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 also applies to the other two guys, and we'll switch it over to Rasmus here. And and was ready to break onto the thing. He had uh, first seed minutes going for Team Finland, and tears the ACL. Comes back, has an excellent season in the A. Gets brought up, shows spurts, and we were like, oh yeah, that's why they drafted him, taking that puck all the way from the outside, driving it to the net. What we've been asking from Kempe for for years on end. He did it two or three games in a row, and then just kind of fell off the map with consistency. And then you would see flashes of the TV where he would take the puck through three or four guys and then not know what to do with it when he got into the offensive zone. Where do you see Kupari in here? And is it a situation where Kaliev had to pay his dues on the fourth line and Kupari has to show those flashes with the limited ice time that he may get? Yeah, I think these, I mean, we'll talk about these three players. And I think these three players are probably the biggest names that we'll watch in terms of training camp because you kind of look at the top six right now, and this is kind of barring any trades that will happen. You have Kempe and Kopitar out there. We'll just play side follow there. And then obviously you have the Mad Line. Then you have Byfield, Kaliev available. I think Grunstrom slots in well with them on the left side. So for me, I think there's only really one spot available, and I think it's the right side on the fourth line. So, I mean, Kupari, I, you 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 just said it great, Randon. I mean, he was really – he showed a lot of flash. And when we talk about – people kind of waiting for these prospects like we did with Kempe. Uh, Kupari reminds me so much of Kempe because with Kempe, we saw those flashes where he's able to use his speed, get to the outside and take it to the net just kind of intermittently. And then he was kind of that he got that um, streaky kind of tag to him. And I think we're starting to see that with Kupari. But when he when he's able to um, kind of show that confidence and use that speed on the outside like he did kind of toward the end of the year, um, I mean, he can be a great player because he's probably one of the fastest players along with Kempe 
on the team. So there's not a lot of speed, I guess, on the bottom six when you have Grunstrom, Lazad. I mean, there's kind of more of a forechecking aspect. But with Kupari, that's just pure speed. And when he's able to find the way to utilize it in, as an NHL player, I think you're looking at a player who can be a really good success and probably possibly a continue, uh, consistent top six player in the NHL. I love his skill set. I love his skating. He's a fun, fun skater to watch. I, I, I want to see what what he ends up like. What is Rasmus Kapari? Is he going to be a player like you mentioned, Kempe? Kempe eventually turned into this. He worked at it, and he became a, a legitimate goal scorer. He, can, he, mm. there were, I mean, he, the his shot, for the 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 evolution of his shot is was outstanding over the last couple of years. And he shows it this year with, the, with the goals that he scored. So um, does Cal is, is Kapari going to be more, is he going to do that? Is he have that in his bag where he can become a lethal shooter like that? I almost envision him more of like a, a because of how well he skates and how good his hands are, but just a, a really good playmaker that can be on the wing or down the middle. Um, I want to see what he kind of turns and kind of evolves into. Um you saw that shot a couple times on the power play where he drug the puck in, mm-hmm. I which game it was, and he sniped it top shelf. So he's got mm-hmm. that skill. But I, I agree with you, Russell. His skating is his biggest asset. Yep. And and I, I you think you just see the dominance sometimes where it's like, you know, like, man, like, as Carter says here, like, uh, do you think he, beca- uh, he became physical as a way to earn the roster spot? I think that he grew into his body. And I think that mm-hmm. he's always been a legit – strong skater and he used that size to like to be able to do the things that he's good at it just wasn't consistent enough yeah it was was to be expected from a a young player right yeah and with uh kupari i mean he's been playing professional hockey since 2018 i mean he played pro hockey in in in, uh the liga so he he's kind of been around these kind of i guess bigger guys playing alongside him so and then now that he's actually realizing like hey I can use my side because he's a big kid. He's six foot one, I think close to 190, 190, maybe 195 on the ice. So that's, and with that speed, that's a lot of body that you can kind of throw around on the forecheck. Um, and with Kupari and the next player we'll talk about with Velarde, these two players, I'm willing to be a little bit more patient with these two players than I am with a player like Tur- Turcotte or, or Byfield and Kaliev, where I expect those players to kind of make more of an impact sooner rather than later, because I think it's just though their game types, especially for a player like Turcotte, who's not really known as a flashy kind of make moves kind of skater or player who's known more as a passing kind of four checker. I think his game would should translate easier to the NHL for players like Kupari and Vilardi. I think with their talent and their amount of skill that they're able to bring on the ice, I think you have to be a little bit more patient with those type of players. And I think for the Kings, if Kupari is maybe maybe able to play like 35, 40 games, 50 games this year, and maybe kind of get um, a couple looks on the fourth, third line, I think we'll see a good developmental year and a good step um, taken from Kupari this year where he can be that, like, like I said, where he can be that consistent top six player. Yeah, I, um, I definitely agree on on Kapari, and and I'd be willing to be a little bit more patient with him too. Um, and I think you saw that, right? They sent him down to Ontario last year, and you know, I I, I don't think that there was any issues with that. Velarde, if we want to just get segue into Velarde, I and maybe it's just because I think you guys know how much I how highly I think of the player. I'm 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 ready to. I'm not 
patient anymore with Velarde. I want it, but at the same time, like it, this is a player that that needs a shot. Like it, this he he's got to play. And if you're not going to play him, I don't want to be patient anymore. Um, I don't know that it serves any good. I think he did exactly what he had to do down in Ontario. They moved him to the wing, and I thought he played great. I thought he was a different player. He could be more. He was kind of the shackles were off a bit in terms of he didn't have to be that play driving center, that two way centerman that needed to worry about the D zone coverage as he's down there. He played very well as a winger. He was excellent on the power play. Let him be Gabe Velarde and let him be that skillful forward. And if you're not going to do that, there's no. I don't. I don't get the sense of sending Gabe Velarde back down to Ontario anymore. I. I just don't see it. Um, I, I. Which is why I kind of. For as much as I like him, I wouldn't be surprised if his days with the organization are numbered. I wouldn't be surprised if he's somebody that's dealt this offseason. But I'm with you on Campari. I like the idea of being patient with him. And if he's a guy that needs to spend some more time down in Ontario from time to time. With Velarde, I think it's, it's, this is the year for Velarde to show you're an NHL player and you're going to be a productive one or you're not. The and fire didn't work out last time. What makes you think it'll work out this time for him? For... You throwing him in the fire. I mean, he was two C, didn't go well. Like, what kind of, what kind of, what what are you thinking? Are you thinking line three? You thinking up line one with Kopi and Kempe? Yeah. So he he's a winger now. Like at the two C, he was not ready for that. Clearly, right? He he and he struggled big time. He he struggled in that role. Um, And so, but that's okay. Like, so the Kings learned. Okay, maybe he could have evolved into a center if they could have eased him in into that three four C. But they put him in two C, and it was a struggle and I think he just is a much better player as a winger and I would like to see him selfishly would like to see him with Kopitar and Kempe kind of realistically I understand that's not going to happen so I would love to see him with Byfield and Kaliev um again don't know where he fits there because Russ Messon mentioned Grunstrom and I wouldn't be surprised if they give him I view Grunstrom more of like that 12th, 13th forward personally, but I also, the way he played wouldn't shock me at all if he plays third line left wing. So I'm trying to find where he fits and I don't see it. I know where I see it fit, but I don't know for the organization. I think he's an odd man out, Um, but I do think it's different. I think him as a winger and I think the Kings, I don't know. I, I think it would be a mistake to send him down, have him change his position and then not give him a shot at his new position, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, Cause otherwise you'd probably want to send him down and have him play center. His trade value is probably better as a center. So I, I, I mean, that just send, tends to be the case I would think. So that's the way I look at Velarde. So that's why I think it's different. Rando is I think he is a different player now than he was back then. I think the role's different and I don't think he has to have the same type of center responsibility because he, he'll be a winger. We got, we got some we got some fans here before I get let you go, Russell, on this one. Carter score says Todd definitely has Velarde in the doghouse. What it's kind of unfair. He's done everything they've asked him to do. I'm assuming he's saying in Ontario, just as Joe said. And Richard comes in saying he was rushed as the two C mm-hmm. with the no, he can play on the wing. Do you agree with that sentiment of what Joe and, and Richard and Carter were saying? Yeah, absolutely. The the thing with Velarde is I mean we almost kind of all forget about all the major back issues. And I don't want to keep yeah, bringing too. that up as a, a big excuse, but I mean, it's something you have to think about. This is really, he still hasn't, I think he's only played what 89 games so far, maybe even that. Um, I mean, I might be wrong on that, but um, 
looking into next year, I said we have to be patient. I'm willing to be patient on players like Kupari and Velarde, but I still think Velarde should be on the. I think where he good he opens on on this season. I think he's the uh, right wing on Lozat's line on the fourth line. But I think I would I, w- I would love to see Velarde get some looks with Kopitar and Kempe on the first line because. Let's say the Kings don't make any trades and they go into next year, or I guess make any trades on the forward to impact forwards. Mm-hmm. They go into next year with a forward group, which is actually still pretty good, especially with with the amount of prospects that we're talking about, where there's some room to kind of give them some some more ice time. I mean, for Gabe Velarde, we've we, we've seen the skill set that he has. He's probably got the best hands on the team. I mean, you, we've kind of seen him dangle in phone booths through, throughout each game. He's able to pull, pull off these moves. It's just almost been like a mental thing with him. Every time he kind of gets into trouble, he goes in the doghouse like we just talked about, gets sent, sent down, changes positions. But now that I think he's more, it's it's like more ingrained in his brain that like, hey, I'm, you're a winger now. This is how you are. This is what you are going to be to the franchise. And for you to be successful, for you to stay with LA, you have to find a spot on the wing. And with the Kings not really having that kind of scoring type winger to fit with Kopitar, if Velarde is able to show some real good confidence in training camp and in preseason, I say maybe you give Velarde a couple games with Kopitar and Kempe and kind of see what happens. Because, I mean, if we're looking for a playmaker that is able to set up um, scoring, especially on the power play, Gabe Velarde is probably the best prospect that the Kings have that it is able to do that. He just looks so good on the power play, too. And I know it's different in Ontario. It's not the NHL. I appreciate that. But to, he, he, he's – he's that's his skill set. He's the, the best bumper guy that we have right now. Yeah, he's creative. He's smart without the puck. He's great with the puck. So, yeah, I, I'm, I'm, I'm with you, Russ. And I think there's the other thing to keep in mind, and, and I'm not going to pretend to know Gabe Velarde, but – just kind of reading tea leaves and it seems that some of the comments and stuff that, that maybe have come out with certain interviews or, you know, how happy he is or isn't or whatever. And again, I, I hate to read too much into that, but there is a difference. I think like Kaliev was this, he's a rookie, you know, and they asked him to play a fourth line and he's rolling up his sleeves and he goes, I'm going to do whatever's asked. And it's a different mm-hmm. mindset. And I don't want to say Velarde isn't that guy to, to be – it's going to make it sound like I'm thinking he's a bad teammate or a bad, or anything. And I'm not meaning that. It's just he's a different player. He's a different person that maybe he doesn't react the same as, say, Kaliev did to that role with Lazat. And I think if that doesn't work, where does he go then? Is he just – they're shipping him back out to Ontario. And that's where I think they get into this. I think they either got to give him the shot or, or, you know, find if, if there's a trade partner, but he's extremely talented and, you know, you're right, Russ, he, it was a rough go early for a lot of the injuries he had then thrust into two C probably before he was ready. But, uh, I think he's made adjustments. Um, so we'll see what happens in the preseason, right? If he's still around, Mm -hmm. um, where he, where they put him. Yeah, I'll add, one, I'll add one last thing on Velarde. He has played 89 games, and he has 18 goals in those 89 games. Six of them have come on the power play. So if you're looking for a player that's going to make a real big impact on the power play, Gabe Velarde is probably the best player that can do that in terms of uh, young players that we're talking about here. So 
That'll be something to watch. And and that's why it's like we talk about these players. There's so many players. Mm -hmm. (laughs) We haven't even talked about Jared Anderson Dolans, Hemo, like Mark Chromiak, who might, who's going to be playing pro. Maybe what, what happens with him? Like, God, it's a, that's why we always go back to these trades because it's like you have to envision Rob Blake is sitting there with all this draft capital and teams are just calling him, just right. saying, "Hey, take take this player. What do you got to offer?" Daniel Hellenius, Francisco Pinelli. Yeah, exactly. So. Insert and, and, num- pick number nineteen. Mm-hmm. And I, I what I want to caution here is is you know ultimately in a in a in a career of a player is the player's ability themselves the willingness to be a better player, the opportunity Absolutely. and the usage. And you look as a player that we've seen a couple times this last two years that we gave a second round pick for, and you look at Leah Anderson had all the talent in the world and New York butchered him in the first, the way they used him in the first part of his career. And I believe hung him out to dry. And, and then he kind of just got lost in the zone where he went to Europe and all this kind of stuff like that. And, He's probably written off by most of the league at this point, as and he was a top ten pick. And you'd mm-hmm. hate to see that from a guy like Filardi because of usage or the way a uh, organization views him. And and maybe what's best for the player is not to be with the Kings and have an actual opportunity in, in a place like Arizona or a place insert wherever other trade here to have a fresh start and a fresh mindset moving forward. It goes back to what we talked a little bit about earlier and where I am a little empathetic with Todd McClellan is that by the time Velarde was called back up from Ontario, like they're waist deep in a playoff push. Like mm-hmm. on the one hand, it's like, I don't got time for this. If I'm Todd McClellan, I got to go with what's getting me here. Uh, we're in the, you know, I got to trust my guys, you know, Lemieux and, and I follow and, and these guys that, that maybe Grunstrom, like you, you go with what you trust and I can appreciate that. On the other hand, you have one of the worst power plays in the NHL, and you have, and it's not to say like, oh, put Gabe Velarde on, all of a sudden the power play is going to be thirty percent. Like, but you could try instead of trotting out Iafalo and Deneau, who are not power play guys. So, but it, it's 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 that it's a tough spot. I and again, I appreciate where McClellan is coming from because when you're in a playoff spot or you're pushing for it, like. It's you get a call up from Ontario and Velarde. It's like, where am I supposed to fit him here? I'm not. It's it's tough. It, it's easier said than done, and I and I just want to acknowledge that. Yeah. The opposite, the opposite of that though is you look at Bowen Byram, right? Only 49 career games, and he's already <clears> playing 18 <throat> playoff games. They're throwing him in in the Stanley mm-hmm. Cup on the second sure. power play. Like these young guys are drafted high for a reason, and the biggest my thing is like you. I think McClellan is my biggest gripe with him is that sometimes he's too conservative. Like, yeah, you got to let your best players play. Uh, Bowen Byer, I I will love to find a way to the Kings to get him because I I mean you talk about them throwing him in the fire. I think there's a reason they did that, and it's because he's so good that he's able to kind of mix in pretty well there. But and I'm glad you, Joe, you talked about it. like the Kings. All of a sudden, it's just like they were in this playoff push when all these injuries started happening and all these call-ups for young players started coming in. So Tom McClellan wasn't going to give all these young players all this mm-hmm. ice time to kind of throw them into these high-pressure situations. So that's why I go back to, like, I don't want to put a lot of pressure on games in October and November, but this is going to be the time for these young players to show, like, hey, give me some ice time on these kind of less meaningful games where I can show that I've made the next step and kind of put some points on the board. So, I mean, the first part of the season is going to be huge to see which prospects – 
have have making some good strides in the offseason and have made them have taken that next step to show that they're hey we're we're, we've got a spot on the NHL roster, and we're here to stay, and we're going to stay throughout the season. So it'll, it'll be fun to watch in October when that happens. With our with our offseason content getting up, and we're going to wrap this show up here, I think this is going to be the most important training camp that Kings fans have seen in a long time with all these forward battles, with all the right shot D battles. Where's Clark going to fit? What are the uh, insert player that we acquire here? How does that work? Mm-hmm. Does Bjorn foot you know, bounce back from being benched all of the playoffs. I think there's a lot of storylines that Kings fans, and I know all three of us are excited to cover. It's going to be very interesting what training camp has, has to hold. And I'm very excited for that. As you said, uh, as always guys, it's been a pleasure. Uh, you guys can find all of our content at hockeyroyalty.com. I think like two or three articles are pumping out a day. Ryan Sykes is probably going to get through all 300 prospects <laughs> by, by the playoffs. He's pumping out so many there. Um, we got multiple podcasts. If you guys didn't check it out, just had Chris Peters on yesterday. Go check that out for draft content. Corey Promen, Scott Wheeler as well for where the Kings should go in the 19th overall and some and some maybe picks in the in the second round. Could it be Lay Hudson, the five foot seven, one forty soaking wet with that uh, type left shot D, or is it going to go some Russians? We don't know. Is it going to get shipped off for a Jacob Trickren? Stay tuned. We're going to be covering all that kind of stuff. You guys can find all of our Twitter handles at the bottom. Thank you for our friends at Locked On Coyotes for coming on and talking trickering talk there. Excited to see where that trade stuff goes on. Uh, You can find Joe at JW Paterino. You can find Russell at NHL Russell. You can find me at Rando Commando 24 scrolling across the bottom. As always, guys, such a pleasure talking. I'm sure we could have went another hour with hypotheticals, <laughs> but uh, you know, I got I got to get to bed, and I'm sure fans got enough to think about already. So, pleasure having you guys again on again. Absolutely. Yeah. Have a good one. And as always, go Kings, go. Go Kings.